I am Nicolas Bornois of Capital Link, and I would like to welcome you to uh, this session that uh, will uh, deal with the use of leverage. It's a presentation by Stephen Johnson, CFA and Associate Director of Pitch Ratings. Before turning the floor over to him, I'd like to thank uh, Stephen and uh, Pitch Ratings for being part of this uh, event uh, for a number of years. You have been a strategic partner and thank you very, very much for your uh, cooperation and support every year. And of course, for sharing your very valuable insight. Uh, before I turn the floor over to, to Stephen, I'd like to mention that uh, you can submit questions uh, during the presentation and Stephen will uh, reply to them uh, at the end of his presentation. You can do so by clicking um, on the uh, Q&A button at the, uh, uh, on your screen. So, uh, Stephen, the floor is yours and uh, thank you very much. Sure, let me I'll, uh, share my screen. Just confirm that you can see that, Nicholas or Lenny. <clears throat> uh, perfect. Okay, thank you. Um, so thank you, Nicholas, Eleni, Annie, and everyone else at Capital Link. As you mentioned, uh, we've been partnered with Capital Link for a handful of years now, and we really value the uh, relationship we have. Uh, thank you, everyone else, for joining. Anyone watching uh, the webinar virtually, thank you. Um, so my name is Stephen Johnson. I'm an associate director on the funds and asset management team here at Fitch Ratings. I joined Fitch in December of 2021 after spending eight years at Morgan Stanley. Uh, my primary focus is closed-end funds, money market funds, local government investment pools, and bond funds. Um, so along with the junior analysts on my team, we monitor our existing ratings uh, via monthly or bi-monthly surveillance. We perform stress tests on the funds that we rate, uh, given market developments or any news or anything, any insight that we glean from other teams at Fitch Ratings covering other sectors. And of course, we publish uh, research reports, uh, quarterly and semi-annual dashboards for the different products that we rate, and uh, also ad hoc reports, again, based on market developments, or if people are reaching out to us, market participants are reaching out to us, uh, we're more than happy to look into any, <clears throat> any relevant uh, market news impacting funds that we rate. Um, so that being said, the closed-end fund leverage report, this is one of the bigger reports that we published during the year. Uh, it's one of the biggest projects that we take on. Uh, it's pretty labor-intensive where we look at the SEC filings of several hundred closed-end funds to look at how they're positioning their leverage, um, you know, over each half of the year as they uh, publish their filings. So uh, we're excited to share these findings with you. Um, so this first slide, for anyone who was at Capital Link last year, we uh, included a similar slide last year where we looked at the year-to-date change in the net asset value by sector. So this is the average. You'll see the... Uh, Green bars and the single red bar represent the year-to-date change in the NAV by the sector. Um, and then the gray bars represent the average effective leverage ratio for those sectors. I'll note that this data was pulled from uh, cefconnect.com and we pulled it last week. So it's as of October 25th, closing prices. So a couple things to note here. We kind of like to include this just to uh, you know, lay the groundwork for what we're gonna look at going forward. Um, so if we first look at the effective leverage ratios 
you can see that, um, you know, munis historically, they're the highest that we see. And uh, <clears throat> that holds true here too. They're right at 36% as of uh, October 25th. And the green bars, I mean, I know it looks promising, but again, this is just year to date from January 1st, 2023 through today. So while a number of these sectors are reporting positive changes to NAV, they're still down when you look at the broader picture. If you go back um, a couple of years to you know January 2002, when the Fed started hiking rates, before the Fed started hiking rates. So I think it's hard to say that NAVs are recovering, but on the whole, they're still um, you know below where they were a couple of years ago. Um, and then just I'll refer, uh, looking at the munis, I know uh, the Wall Street Journal posted an article a couple of weeks ago where they touched on the difficult environment that munis have been operating in and, you know, partly attributed to the fact that they employ high leverage. Um, I think the article mentioned that, you know, they've been hurt by both, you know, the market value of their underlying share, underlying bonds has gone down as their borrowing costs have increased. It's kind of been I think the article said it was double whammy. So, I mean, you can see that your munis are still down three and a half percent year to date. And if you look, you know, at a broader time horizon, they're actually down quite a bit. Um, that being said, I know it's been the news that, you know, across the board, funds have been cutting their distributions. Um, but I mean, we will say that leverage ratios are, you know, in line with what we've seen historically. And that could be attributed to the fact that the underlying portfolio assets have gone down. and Simultaneously, these funds have uh, reduced their leverage. Um, so again, just setting the table for what we're going to look at going forward. So going to the next slide. Um, again, we like to include this slide. We included it last year. So this shows uh, each blue dot represents one closed end fund. And I'll take a step back and just so the data going forward is as of the first half of 2023. Um, so it's important to keep in mind that. Closed-end funds submit their certified shareholder reports to the SEC on a bi on a semi-annual basis. So some of these data points, and again, going forward, some of the data is as of January 2023, some of it's June 2023. So just something to keep in mind as we move forward. Um, <clears throat> but again, each of these data points or each of these blue dots represents one closed-end fund and where their effective leverage ratio stood at the time of the reporting during the first half of the year. Um, and you can see we also have included here um, just you know, lines showing different limits imposed by either the 1940 Act or by uh, the preferred shares or types of leverage that funds like to employ. And again, kind of what I touched on in the last slide was that overall we see leverage ratios in line with their historical averages. Um, we do see though a number of funds we're proactively delevering. You can see that here, especially looking at the taxable closed-end funds. Um, you can see there's a pretty wide dispersion. I mean, it looks like there's funds operating the entire range from you know close to zero percent up to about forty-five percent. Um, munis or more are more clustered right around that forty-five percent limit. Although you can see some down near thirty-five percent. Um, going back to the last slide, I think as of October they were operating around thirty-five percent, so still pretty on average. Um, so still pretty stable there, but again, you can see several munis that we collected data for. I mean, they reduced their leverage down below 5%. And again, that's something that we saw throughout the year was for the funds that we covered, they were proactive with managing their leverage in light of uh, 
the Fed hiking cycle and the impact it was having on the on the bond markets. Um, move on to the next slide. So, I mean, I'm sure everyone watching is aware of, uh, you know, the current environment we're in and the actions of the Fed over the past year and a half. But we thought, you know, it would be good to include this, especially as we move forward through the next three slides. Um, so, I mean, it's hard to remember, but, you know, back before COVID, the Fed was actually in the midst of a hiking cycle. Granted, it wasn't nearly as steep or rapid as what we've experience over the past year and a half, they were raising about 25 bips every couple of months. Um, and then you can see once COVID hit, they immediately brought it back down to near zero. And then lastly, you can see since they started hiking in March um, of last year that, you know, they've taken off and now we're sitting at uh, above 5%. And I know uh, the FOMC is meeting today and yesterday. And I mean, the decision should be coming out in the next couple hours. Um, I think the market's anticipating them to hold steady. Um, but again, something to keep in mind, just you know, the shape of this chart as we move forward. Um, okay, so here we're looking at leverage utilized in taxable close end funds. So each of these bars represents the total leverage during that half year, and we have it broken out during or by a different types of leverage used by these taxable close end funds. Um, so a couple of things to note first, so as of the first half of 2023, so from January through June, uh, we saw a total of $37 billion in leverage outstanding across 226 different U.S. closed-end funds, um, which, I mean, you can clearly see steeply drop after the first half of 2022. But taking a step back, if you look at, um, you know, the drop from, from the onset of COVID, so from the second half of 2019 to the first half of 2020, uh, there was about a 20% drop in leverage utilized by taxable close-end funds. Uh, it was about 10 and a half billion. And then you can see that, you know, funds started to then ramp up gradually uh, their use of leverage going through the second half of 2020, first half of 2021, up until the first half of 2022. Um, so from the first half of 2020 through the first half of 2022, they actually increased their leverage utilization by 34% for about $14 million. And then, I mean, you can see the steep drop off once the Fed started hiking interest rates. Um, it's dropped about $18 billion or 33% year over year from the first half of 2022 to the first half of 2023. Um, I mean, again, I think everyone on the call is aware that, you know, these are the highest borrowing costs that funds and, you know, market participants have faced since, 2007, the lead into the global financial crisis. It's been almost about 15, 20 years since funds have had these borrowing costs. And again, I know I mentioned it before, I'm probably gonna mention it again later, but from what we saw among the closed-end funds that we rate here at Fitch, we saw managers actively uh, reducing their leverage. Um, a couple other things to touch on. Um, you can see that when it comes to taxable closed-end funds, um, the two areas that dominate as far as leverage utilization is bank debt and repo. Uh, it's interesting to see, although unsurprising, that um, repos have reduced dramatically from that first half of 2022 until first half of 2023 earlier this year. So I mentioned earlier that there's an $18 billion drop in 
leverage utilization year over year, and 14 billion of that could be attributed to the reduction in repos, which is represented by those light blue bars there. <clears throat> um, and I mean, again, that's unsurprising because when it comes to leverage utilized by these funds, uh, repo is like the easiest lever that they can pull quickly in response to uh, rising interest rates and rising borrowing costs. Um, and then in addition to that, you can see from the first half of 2022 to the second half of 2022, so that green bar, um, bank debt was also uh, reduced pretty significantly, it dropped about $4 billion or about 16% over that uh, six month time period from the first half of 2022 to the uh, second half of 2022. And it, it is interesting to note that, you know, out of COVID, it took a little bit of time, but leverage utilization actually recovered before the Fed started hiking interest rates. So borrowing by taxable close-end funds during the first half of 2022 actually exceeded borrowing during the second half of 2019 by about 6%. But again, with the Fed hiking interest rates so rapidly, that kind of almost immediately was brought back down. Um, so that is the taxable close-end funds. Moving on, um, similar chart, just looking at muni closing funds now, you can see, I mean, clearly that, you know, the drops and the rises aren't as severe as uh, taxable closing funds. Uh, we've attributed that primarily just to the less volatile nature of muni closing funds. Historically, I know past year, year and a half, that hasn't been the case. But if you look historically at the bigger picture, you know, five plus years, 10 plus years, uh, you know, the underlying assets of muni funds is much less volatile than the assets of taxable closing funds. Uh, invest in. Um, so similar here, I guess first I'll start with as of the first half of 2023, there was $31 billion in outstanding leverage across 133 U.S. closed-end funds. Um, taking a step back, looking at, you know, with COVID and the impact that had. So from the second half of 2019 to the first half of 2020, um, Leverage dropped by about 5%. So again, not nearly as severe as what we saw with the taxable closing funds. And then similarly, we saw a ramp up from first half of 2020 through the first half of 2022 before the Fed started hiking interest rates. It actually increased 6% or right about $2 billion. And then again, once the Fed started hiking interest rates, um, it dropped by about $7 billion or 18% year over year from the first half of 2022 the first half of 2023. Um, and again, similar to where the taxable close-end funds leverage was dominated by bank debt and repo, here we see three main players and that's variable and fixed, MTPs, VRDPs and POBs. And then similar to what we saw with the repos in the taxable space, we saw similar act activity in the POBs for the municipal close-end funds. So if you look from the first half of 2022 to the first half of 2023, TOBs dropped about $4 billion. So overall, the market dropped $7 billion and $4 billion of that can be attributed to the TOBs. And that represents a 42% drop year over year for TOB usage um, from the first half of 22 to the first half of 2023. Um, and then another interesting thing to note looking at this chart is the emergence of MFPs or Muni Fund preferred shares over the past five years. You can see they kind of 
some funds utilize them during the second half of 2017, but then they really started taking off during the first half of 2018. Um, I know we rate a couple funds that issued MFPs. Um, and it's interesting to note that from the first half of 2022 to the second half of 2022, so, you know, during the early stages of the current Fed hiking cycle, MFP usage actually increased while most other leverage used by muni funds decreased. So interesting to know that in spite of the market environment, MFP usage increased uh, during that time from the first half of 2022 to the second half of 2022. Moving along, uh, this is the third and last one that we'll look at as far as uh, leverage utilization for closed-end funds. Um, so this is by MLP closed-end funds. Uh, again, same as the last couple of slides, it's broken out by each half year. Although in addition to that, we include this purple line, which corresponds to the axis on the right side. So that shows the average leverage ratio employed by MLP closed-end funds during each half of the year. Um, so, I mean, I, it's pretty clear. I mean, significant 75% drop uh, to, at the onset of COVID from the second half of 2019 to the first half of 2020. Um, of course, I mean, it makes perfect sense with, you know, what, you know, all the lockdowns during COVID and MLP's focus on the energy sector. It's not surprising. Um, you can see that the leverage ratio also on average, it went from 35% pre-COVID down to about 25% held steady there. Uh, leverage utilization has recovered a little bit or did recover a little bit through the first half of 2022. It was still down over 50% compared to before COVID. But then again, once borrowing costs rose as the Fed was hiking rates, uh, leverage has dropped again. So now we're in the first half of 2023, we're actually below where we were during the first half of 2020. So during the first half of 2023, uh, total leverage used by MLPCF stood at 1.6 billion across 18 different US closed-end funds. Um, and then again, I mean, not surprising that leverage has stayed that low considering the other uh, factors that have impacted MLPs in the energy sector that didn't impact munis and taxables as much, including the Russian invasion of Ukraine and, uh, you know, again, overall, just the impact of COVID on the energy sector. Okay, so now we're looking at, just before we're looking at different types of leverage used by these funds, uh, the next couple of slides look at the range of borrowing costs that these funds have experienced. And for these next couple of slides, we shorten the time horizon. So we're just looking at, the past 18 months or from January of 2022 through June of 2023. So there's a couple months there, January and February of 2022, before the Fed really started hiking rates, which is primarily corresponding with, you know, the bottom bounds of this. I actually see that we had the average, we had an indicator of the average across all of these. I see that that's been lost as I'm presenting my screen, but um, you can see we have auction rate preferred shares over on the left. Um, so you can see, again, going back to early last year, a lot of those are paying around 2% dividends. And then as we were collecting data more recently that had just been filed with SEC recently, reflecting June 2023 data, we saw a handful of funds that were paying dividends on their ARPs in excess of 10%. Um, so really a huge, 
huge wide range um, and a pretty rapid rise in the borrowing costs for funds that uh, have ARPs outstanding. And then you can see we have private notes, retail preferreds, and private preferreds. Those have smaller ranges. Uh, our thinking is that's for a couple of factors. One could be the fixed rate nature of some of those, and also they may be longer dated than as responsive to the change in interest rates by the Fed. And then similar to the ARPs, we have bank debt and repo debt, where you can see, again, back in January of last year, you know, borrowing costs for funds that utilize those types of leverage, borrowing costs were near zero. They were 25 bips around there. Um, and now, as the Fed has hiked, their borrowing costs are now closer to 6% or above. And then lastly, you can see on the right, we have just different factors that impact uh, the borrowing costs that taxable closing funds face. Um, so there's the term of the issuance, if it's preferred share, if it's you know credit line uh, or even repo, the term of it, uh, the track record of the manager, the sector and quality of the portfolio, uh, whether or not it is secured or unsecured borrowing, uh, the seniority and the capital structure of the leverage, interest rates, of course, prevailing at the time. Um, again, if you look at last year, close to zero, and now borrowing costs are as high as they've been in 15 plus years, and then collateral type for quality, and again, market timing. So this is for taxable closed-end funds. If we move to now muni closed-end fund leverage costs, <clears throat> you can see we have the first three columns are VRDPs, VMTPs, and RVMTPs. So not surprising given their variable nature, but a lot of those bargaining costs has risen over the past 18 months from January of last year through June of this year. Uh, some of them were paying dividends around 1% last year or below, and now a lot of them are paying 3.5% or higher. Um, MFPs have a wider range. They've typically been paying between 1% and 4%. And then TOBs, similar to what we saw in the last slide with the bank debt and repo debt, uh, TOBs, very popular with muni funds. They have been for quite some time. If you go back a couple of slides, uh, they've represented a significant portion of borrowing done by muni funds going back 10 plus years. Um, so you can see, you know, back in January of last year, borrowing costs were below 1%, and now they're more than 4% for the most part. Um, now, we thought it was interesting, bank debt and repo debt, Whereas for the taxable funds, you know, you could tell that, you know, they started out below 1% last year and then the upper bound came on, you know, more recently during June and May of 2023, but 5%. We didn't see that with muni closing funds. Our thinking is that, you know, muni funds moved and the data supports this, that they moved out of TOBs and some of them redeemed some of their preferred shares and then moved into bank debt and repo debt in the middle of the Fed hiking cycle. So that's why you don't see the lower bound for bank debt and repo debt down uh, below 1% like we saw for the taxables. Um, and then again, um, just, you know, the smaller range of MFPs kind of speaks to the, uh, you know, longer term nature and same with the bank debt uh, speaks to the longer term nature of those borrowings. So moving ahead, uh, this is our bank financing. So what we have here is a table of the top bank counterparties that lend to closed-end funds, either via facilities, loans, margin loans, what have you, or reverse repos. Um, so what you can see is the first column uh, lists 
the banks. So we included the top 10 banks as of, uh, you know, looking at the total that they lent between facilities and reverse repos. And then we bunch all the remaining counterparties. And then there's a great deal of funds that don't disclose who their facility is with or repos. They just include it as one bulk. So that makes up uh, about 60% of the total. Um, but you can see here, top 10 uh, banks. So the second column is how much they lent via facilities during the first half of 2023. The next column shows how many close-in funds they lent to via facilities. Uh, the third column or fourth column uh, shows how much they lent rever reverse repos to close-in funds. And then the next column shows how many close-in funds they had open reverse repos with as of the reporting date of those funds. And then the next column shows, again, the total that was lent between the facility and the repo. So it's the sum of the second column facility and the fourth column reverse repos. And then we show the percent of that total as percent of the grand total. And then lastly, we showed the change from when we collected this data last year. So the change year over year from the first half of 2022 to the second half of 2022. Um, you can see, I mean, main takeaway that I see is year over year, bank financing is down 22%. Um, but you can see the market still stands at almost $31 billion. And then you can see the change for each individual bank um, in that right-hand column. Moving along, so now that we've talked about all the different types of leverage, we thought it'd be good to just write an overview of you know, our closed-end fund rating criteria. So off the bat, I'll make it clear that we don't rate closed-end funds themselves. We rate the financial obligations of closed-end funds. Um, so we rate all the different types of preferred shares that we've discussed and notes, senior notes, et cetera. And if you read our closed-end fund criteria, which is published on Pitch's website, you'll see throughout the document, we, we use this term going beyond the 1940 Act. Uh, so what we mean by that is you know, we're more conservative than 1940 Act when we're looking at the you know, ability of these closed-end funds to cover their leverage. So there's three key areas where we're going beyond the 1940 Act when we examine the financial obligations of closed-end funds. The first is the asset coverage ratios. So the 1940 Act requires funds to calculate their asset coverage ratios just based on the current market values of their portfolio assets. Uh, we, again, go beyond that by using stressed market values. Um, we reflect each asset class's unique price volatility based on historically observed worst case price declines and liquidity stresses that we've seen you know, over the past 20 plus years. So we, we perform a haircut to the portfolio assets to see how the portfolio would perform in a stressed market environment. Um, next is non-traditional leverage. So the 1940 Act doesn't capture the impact of non-traditional leverage at all. While our proprietary model captures all senior and peri obligations, such as reverse repos, POBs, securities lending arrangements, and derivatives, among other types of non-traditional leverage. So we want to get a picture of how the fund would be able to cover their obligations given the other types of non-traditional leverage that uh, they're utilizing. 
And then lastly, we go beyond the 1940 Act when it comes to portfolio diversification. So the 1940 Act uh, provides a baseline diversification framework. Um, you know, red funds register as either diversified or non-diversified. Uh, our closing fund criteria, again, it lists all this in much more detail, but we address concentration risk at the level of individual issuers. We look at both their debt and equity within the closing funds portfolio. And we also provide, or we also uh, have limits to industries, muni sectors, foreign currency exposure, and geography. Um, that, you know, once you hit that limit, we apply an additional discount factor haircut to account for that concentration risk. And then lastly, just, you know, as, you know, just provide an idea of, you know, Fitch's work in this space. So as of today, November 1st, 2023, Fitch rates 12 kinds of structural liabilities issued by 95 different closing funds, managed by 19 different managers, investing in 11 different sectors. So we really have a wide array of funds that we rate across sectors and all different types of structural liabilities. Um, so with that being said, I'll check the Q&A. If anyone has questions, feel free to throw a question in the Q&A box. I'm not seeing any questions right now. If anyone has any questions, I'd be more than happy uh, to cover them. If not, if people, I was, if people think of questions later on, or I mean, I know that this report, we, we receive a lot of queries asking for support. You feel free to reach out to me at stephen.johnson at fitchratings.com. And I'll, I'll be providing it to Nicholas and people at Capital Link to publish to their website, though, if you'd like to grab it from there. Thank you. This um, uh, presentation is going to be archived and will be available for, to be accessed upon demand. So, uh, I'm sure you're going to get a lot more uh, attendance. It has been a very well-attended presentation and uh, very insightful. And thank you very much, Stephen. Yep, no problem. Thank you, Nicholas.